Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 68 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am joined once again by Emily, Sammy, and Josh to talk all things Syracuse, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's lacrosse. Uh, got a little bit of a mixed bag, some highs, some lows, but we will break it all down for you. And we're going to start with Syracuse men's basketball's loss to do. I know everyone's upset. They wanted to start with something positive, but we're not. We're going to make you feel very upset again. Discuss all of your frustrations, and we're just going to go around the room to get everyone's thoughts on the game and and break it all down from there. So, Emily, let's start with you. Syracuse loses to Duke, but it wasn't just the fact that they lost. It was how they lost a 22 point home loss. And it felt like a little bit like last year where even though this year Syracuse was in it a little bit longer than they were last year. It, it felt like it just kind of got away from them and then really wasn't competitive for, you know, about two thirds of that game. Absolutely. It just, it wasn't nearly as competitive a game as it had to be. You can't let Duke go on one good run. You're not going to recover, especially not if you're Syracuse, you stick to the two, three zone, but everyone in college basketball can hit threes nowadays. And Duke is among everybody, you know, it's an elite program. You can't rely on the two, three zone with them. They just, it wasn't a competitive game. It, Syracuse was incredibly outmatched. And to do that in front of 30,000 people, that must really, really sting. But that was kind of the dagger in Syracuse's season. That's how I see it, at least. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that as, as far as their tournament hopes go. You know, I mean, they'll still make the NIT and they'll still, they'll still have postseason games and, um, you know, might even host a, an NIT game. So have more games at the Dome. But um yeah, I mean, that that completely crushed their NCAA tournament hopes were slim anyway. They pretty much had to win out and then win a couple of games in the AC tournament, hope some other teams slip up. But any chance of that pretty much was eliminated with this. And especially because if you lost a close game to Duke, um, you know, Duke's going to be in the tournament. They have some good wins. But if you lose a close game to them, but then win a couple of, of quality road games against Clemson and Pittsburgh, you can still kind of point to, look, we're playing a lot better down the stretch of the season. And you point to the win over NC state, you point to some close calls over some good teams, you know, the, the, the game at Miami as, as an example. And then you say, Hey, we lost another close one to Duke. We also lost a couple of close games to Virginia a uh, close game against Pittsburgh, but then we avenge that with a road win. And you can kind of make the argument there, even if some of the numbers maybe don't spit in your favor. But you lose by 20 some odd points and all of those arguments go out the window. You can't now claim you're playing better basketball because a team that had been two and six on the road coming in comes in and blows you out of your own building. And then on top of that, Duke typically is a good three-point shooting team. So to your point about the 2-3 zone, 
Duke this year is not a good three-point shooting team. They're a little over 32%, right? They're middle to lower end of the ACC. And they shot a season-high 50% against Syracuse. Dariq Whitehead is the primary outside shooter that they have. He's he's over 40% for the season. Um, he's the only player on the team that was over 40% on the season coming in. And Syracuse lost him time and time again, and he hit everything. Um, and then offensively, they had no answer for Duke's physicality. They just – Jesse Edwards took three shots. Three. That, that's unacceptable. Uh, we'll, we'll go over to you, Josh, on your thoughts on Syracuse, too. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. I mean, you coming off of your first ranked win of the season off another, you know, North Carolina team. You know, not the, not the major two, but a ranked team nonetheless. Um, they're better than I, one of them this year, though. Arguably, I mean, they had that number by their name. You can say they're better than both of them at this point. At this very moment, honestly. But you know, I, like I said, I, you know, I try to the I, I try to be a modicum of consistency. You feel what I'm saying? I've been saying it over and over again. They have to do stuff that they haven't done the whole season in order to you know qualify for this at large bid. So honestly, if you evaluate this, I mean, they got five games left. They beat the you know in theory the toughest opponent you know in NC State, both in ranking and I think in net, which is really big around this time. So obviously, highly job ranking jumped up high. You're talking about your last couple of games with Clint, uh, Clemson and Pitt, but, you know, those are not – Duke is the most talented team in the ACC. Mm, yeah, I, I thought it out there. I like Whitehead a lot. He's been injured. Uh, Filipowski, I really like him a lot as well. And, it's, again, it's, it's Duke. So – but this is kind of, like like M said, like both of y'all said, kind of the um, determining fact that us uh, ranking them as a lower-tier ACC team. Duke has been, you know, slightly disappointing, especially up to the expectations – but if you look at the record before the game, it, there's only two losses in between these two teams. But obviously, you know, Duke is a better team, more talented team. And if you like you said, one will probably go to the NCAA tournament, one will not. And we just saw that big gap between a lower tier ACC team and a top tier ACC team. So it's um disappointing, but not unexpected, honestly. Yeah, and and the the funny thing is, like going into this game. As I mentioned, Duke was two and six on the road coming in. They had played their one of their most recent road games was a game at Boston College when they only won by a point. They just struggled at home against a Notre Dame team that isn't very good. They're second to last in the conference. And then they come in and you are in theory playing your best basketball of the season to your to Josh's point about beating the most difficult team left on your schedule over the last five to ten games. And you kind of lay an egg, right? I mean, that's it's if, if you don't make the NCAA tournament, but, you know, you're close in that Duke game, you win a couple of road games down the stretch, you beat NC State, then you kind of at least feel like, okay, they didn't make the tournament, but they got to being a tournament caliber team at the end of the season. And kind of a lot of those, you know, positive takeaways when you don't make the tournament 
go away with a performance like this. Uh, Sammy, you were there. I know you were there baseline taking pictures. We ran into each other at the game. Um, so you saw it up close and personal as I did. Your thoughts on on Syracuse's effort against Duke? Jesse, and this is a captain obvious statement, but I was incredibly disappointed with Jesse, especially because of how good he's been lately. Three shots. Yeah. Three. But the, the bigger thing, too, I mean – I guess the shot numbers do kind of indicate that, but over the last stretch of games, the last three games in particular, BC, Florida State, NC State, he was aggressive. He was assertive. He tried to create his own opportunities and he was fairly successful, most successful, I would say, in that BC game. But in general, he was following, continuing on some momentum. And you and I talked about it actually in the media room pregame. We, I mentioned I was worried about Jesse, especially because of the two big guys that they got down low. And I was worried he was going to get bullied and they wouldn't have the supporting cast to, to help him out. And then you mentioned, too, that if they get Filipowski to the free throw line, Edwards is going to be out of position and down low is going to be open. And that opened up the three point. So there's just a lot of issues created by just the variety of players and quality players that Duke has because they were able to kind of pick and choose the way they wanted to attack Syracuse and credit um, Coach Shire. He knew exactly what he wanted to do and he did it to perfection. Pick it. it was his first time into the JMA wireless dome. You wouldn't have uh, any expect or any real, I should say you should, wouldn't have guessed that it was his first time in that venue. He coached it like that was his home court. And uh, he praised Edwards post game, but he also pointed out that this was something that they had to counter. And they knew once they countered Edwards, the rest of the pieces would kind of fall in place. And that's the thing I've said is if Edwards isn't playing well, this team isn't going to achieve what they should. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no question um, that they need Jesse Edwards to to play well. And and the funny thing is, um, Duke's guards are really physical and they're really good on ball defenders. And yet, Joe and Judah had really strong games. I think they combined for 39 of Syracuse's 55 points. No one else had more than six. And so, if you went into that game saying, "Listen, Judah's going to score 20." Uh, Joe's going to score 19 or, or whatever, whatever the, the make 21 and 17, whatever it was. Um, those two guys are going to get you almost 40 points and it's not going to be because they're taking 35, 40 shots and shooting, not shooting the ball. Well, but they're both going to be efficient. They're not going to turn the ball over a ton. Duke had more turnovers than Syracuse did. Then you feel like that's a game Syracuse is going to be in. And yet, because Jesse only took those three shots and, as you said, got bullied and pushed off his spots and was very, whatever the opposite of aggressive is, lethargic maybe, um, especially offensively. You know, it's it's uh, disappointing, I think, is is a good word. Now, the if you're looking for a bright side, there's almost no one else in the ACC that can throw a lineup out there like Duke can. To Josh's point, Duke is the most talented team in the ACC, even even though they're not up there in the rankings. But a team like Virginia can't throw out the same type of roster at Syracuse like Duke can. So the matchup problems that were created are not something that most of the teams in the ACC can replicate. That's almost entirely a Duke problem. The downside is they've still lost to basically everyone in the top half of the ACC other than the one game over NC state. So there's still an issue with how they match up with uh, the top tier teams in the ACC. Uh, I I think if, if Syracuse is going to hope to bounce back next year and get back to the tournament, 
the main way that happens is you convince Judah and Jesse to come back for another year. And if, if Jesse was looking for a reason to come back, this game should be it. You're not ready for the NBA because those guys that bullied you are not nearly as strong as what you're going to be facing every single game at the, at the next level. And now if you're comfortable just going straight over to Europe and playing over there, less physical game, more finesse game. And that's a place that Jesse could thrive then, you know, perhaps he wants to leave. But if he does want to make a run at the NBA, then, you know, I think he needs to come back and uh, work on getting stronger so that he can handle those type of players. Uh, Josh. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. I'm about to just, I'll just add a couple of thoughts, you know, before we move on basketball. But like I said, talking about Duke and even Sammy saying, you know, two big guys. I would say, I would go as far as say, you know, me and my, you know, kind of dedicated CBB fans. I think Duke has the best freshman pairing of big guys in the country, especially if you think about the versatility of what, Lively and uh, Filipowski bring, you know, I've liked Filipowski since I've watched him in some of the, you know, some of the grassroots stuff. He looks like Jokic offensively. He can do everything. He can pass. He can post up, play in the mid-range. He has some shots from three on us. And, you know, Lively, 7-1, 7-2. He's been very underwhelming this season in terms of, you know, NBA draft prospect status, but he's still 7-2. And, you know, the only thing I said about Jesse all year is, like, it never looks it never looks aesthetically pleasing when he gets it in the post, and he's usually but he's usually bigger than the guy that he's he's um that's posting him up or he's trying to post up, and you know he had just enough like finesse and touch to kind of throw up something and it goes in kind of at the time, but yeah, when you're talking about uh, lively and um, Filipowski, hey, like that's just I don't as much as Jesse struggled and it kind of could have been predicted. I don't think that we'll see an opponent effectively shut him down like that during the season. I don't think any team in this conference. That I can think of off the head, just had has had that side to throw at him. So, you no know, leading off that, like if you look at this ACC tournament, you know, because we we are very doom and gloom right now. But this is not a I watched a record of the Big East. This is not a um like classic loaded conference. This is not the Big Twelve or this year. Like this is a conference that is very much up for grabs. I think I don't know if we can even determine who's the best team in the ACC. And I, you know. We've we've downplayed and and you know been down talking about this this team all year, but there's this is a talented squad. We talk about you know guys making strides. Jesse's been fourteen and ten all year. Judas look like you know a top forty draft pick. You know Chris mm-hmm. Bell has kind of turned things around at the very abysmal start. You know Benny is you know he's still a body. I guess that's all the thing I say, but he's still breathing and able to play minutes. I guess that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, but there there's a recipe for success for this team to make noise. And to you know, at this point, secure that uh, that uh, ACC tournament, which they'll need to get into, to get into the field. Um, and I'm not ruling that out because I just, I don't know where exactly they'll be seated wise, honestly. But they're not going to get a horrible seed. They may or may not get a buy. And then I don't see any team. I mean, ACC team just did it literally. But if you look at the top of the standings, uh, or a couple weeks ago, post game versus Pitt here. I don't know if we played Clemson yet. You know, we just beat NC State, the only ranked team in the conference as, outside of Miami. Like, this team has been competitive, has been competitive, not beat, but has been competitive with the top tier ACC team. So, you know, as an athlete, I know it's definitely different when you got your season on the line. You're talking about guys like Judah and potentially Jesse, potentially like Judah and Jesse. I think that the ACC championship and uh, automatic bid 
it's not as far the question as we're making it seem right now. Well, and, and before we switch over to the women, um, the one comment I'll have on that is last year, Virginia Tech won it out of nowhere, the ACC tournament. And, and they yes, were exactly. they were a team that nobody thought had any chance of making any type of a run in, in the tournament. But they had talented players who just played out of their minds at the right time. Uh, Syracuse has enough players that, that they could do that. And Josh, to your point, uh, you know, I think Virginia is the best team, but Virginia's style lets lesser teams hang around because they don't play a fast pace, uh, even though their defense is great, but they're generally low scoring games. Um, and Syracuse has played Virginia twice. And, um, oh. you know, they, yeah, they got down big early in the first one, but they, came back, made it competitive. Uh, they were right down to the end the second time around. Um, so, you know, if, if someone could knock off Duke for them, because I think Duke's probably the worst matchup that they would have of, of the top teams, uh, then, yeah, certainly they could make a run. Um, and, and last year's Duke team was better than this year's Duke team, and Syracuse almost knocked them out last year without their best player in, in the tournament. So you, you never know. Tournament plays weird. Sports are funny. Upsets happen. We'll see how that plays out. But to the women who actually have legitimate NCAA tournament hopes at this point, they have split their last two games. They lost at Florida State, another game where they played terrible in the fourth quarter. It was right there at the end. Um, and a fourth quarter collapse did them in. But they did bounce back and beat Miami. And while it looked like that game was going to start off in the fourth quarter, similarly, Syracuse is up by nine going into the fourth quarter. Miami scores a quick bucket to cut it to seven, and then Syracuse immediately gets a five-second call to turn it right over. Uh, Miami gets fouled, cuts the lead down to six, and you thought, here we go again. But Syracuse bounced back, ends up winning the game by nine, gets a huge win over a, a good team. And they were, before that game, in the ESPN's Bracketology, on the first four outline. So Syracuse is legitimately right there, bubble watch, all of that. They finish up the regular season at Pittsburgh, who isn't good, so you have to avoid a bad loss there. And then if you win a couple of games in the ACC tournament, maybe even one, ACC's loaded. So almost everybody that you beat in the ACC tournament is going to be a quality win for you, and I think that could be enough to, to push them in. So um, you know, we'll start with you, Emily, your thoughts on, on where this women's team stands right now. You know, I going into that three game stretch against ranked teams, I was one of those people saying, if you don't win all three, you're out of the tournament. I don't think that that's necessarily true anymore. I don't know if we were maybe a little too far from the end to accurately make that assessment, but this team, that team looked really, really good against Miami against FSU. Not good. Not at all, but it looks like they cleaned it up. The FSU game. I mean, I, I didn't really know how to write the recap. It's the same thing I've written so many times about fourth quarter collapses. It was it was becoming difficult. Deja vu all words. over again. It's it's getting ridiculous. It's got to be like the eighth or ninth one this season. <laughs> but uh, that game was not good. But I really like the turnaround that I saw against Miami. Um, that's a good Miami team, and you were able to hold their leading scorer to below her average, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, but. They, they just gen, they looked better. They looked like they learned. They looked like they walked away from Florida State saying, okay, we beat a ranked North Carolina team how many days ago? And then we embarrass ourselves in the last 10 minutes. It looked like they were playing to avenge that today. It it They looked fantastic. They looked like a tournament team. It's really nice to have Asia Strong back, obviously. I mean, 
Granted, she can't go silent in the second half like the way she did. She's going to have a first half like that. But it's really nice to have her back, her and Tisha Hyman. And how about Kennedy Perkins? Got to shout her out, too. What a performance. Yeah, it was it was um, Kennedy. Kennedy Perkins set a career high with 13 points. I think she was six to seven shooting or five to six. She only missed one shot. Um, you know, true freshman off the bench. If if you're wondering what life could potentially be like without Daisha Fair, at least you got a little glimpse of the the talent that she is. And and she's she's got more size as well. She's longer. She's and so I, I think that could be. Um, you know, she's a different type of player, but there's there's certainly some uh, positives that you take away from her performance. Um, Sammy, your thoughts on on the women's team and where they stand after splitting those last two games. So I was also on the floor for this one. And this was one of those games where I thought this was probably one of the more impressive, I would say, team games that Syracuse has played. And that's because they didn't have to lean on fair who had four points at the break. They, they were able to rely on Asia Strong and Perkins to step up. Uh, Strong, what, what was it? All, all 10 of Strong's points were in the first half. Perkins had 11 in the first half. Like, And there was something that Coach Jack brought up in the post game was that her and Fair had a conversation, and she was asking Fair why she was so passive. She wasn't taking as many shots, only had four points. She want, Fair understood that she wasn't finding her shots. She wasn't open, so trust your team. And I thought that was the best thing she could have said. Because they stepped up. And I think if you can trust your supporting cast when games where fairs being well covered or just can't find her space, can't beat someone off the dribble, whatever the issue may be, that's a real strong sign for this women's team, whether it be in the ACC tournament or, or the NCAA tournament should they get in. Um, the other thing is I, I was very confused by Miami's like offense. They took more mid-range jumpers than I've seen any team ever take. And they weren't going down, so I don't know why they were taking them. I mean, Cavender was 4 for 12 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3, so she should, shouldn't have shot at all. Um, and again, that's your leading scorer. She has uh, On the season, you keep her, Emily said this, it was a little over one point below her average, but shot way below her average in field goal percentage. Um, I, uh, Pendande had a really good game. I won't... Uh, won't discredit that, but everyone else really wasn't a matchup issue for Syracuse. They were able to really counter anyone else on the floor um, for a majority of that game. And I was pretty impressed. And I'm hoping this is a sign for positive things to come, especially because this is the first time I, in a very long time that Syracuse has been healthy. So should they be able to maintain that and go ahead? And if one, if they lose Pitt, then lose at Pitt, then that's disastrous. But should they keep up their momentum, playing the way they play, completely leave FSU in in the uh, the back of their their brain and forget about it? They should be in, in some good shape, and I think they'll be a real threat in the ACC tournament, and hopefully do just enough to get into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and to your point about the the Pitt game, you know Pitt has a losing record, and and even though they've they've played a lot of teams close at their place, uh, the committee doesn't care about any of that. They only care about you know what what their net is and and the quality of, of that opponent. And they just, again, they, they do not care. Um, uh, the, the fact that they've played a lot of good teams close. So you can't, can't lose that game pits 10 and 17 on the season. And I think where it stands right now, the Syracuse, I believe is the nine seed and they would be matching up with NC state, who is the eight seed. And if you remember earlier this year, uh, I believe the first game of 2023 on new year's day, um, Syracuse lost to NC State by two points in the dome 
in a game that they led by nine going into the fourth quarter, and they scored a whopping five points in the fourth. So um, a chance to avenge that. Josh, uh, your thoughts on um, Syracuse women and you know their hopes for the NCAA tournament? Well, as I'm learning, I just as a college basketball fan, once you get around this time, and you know somebody as my team perpetually stays on the bubble. Shout out to Josh Passioner. Um, ten wins in college basketball is kind of like that. That it's that icky number. You feel what I'm saying? Is that ah, uh, just doesn't look good. You feel what I'm saying? The box score. There's always you know mid major teams that have a lot better records. You know, obviously, and just you know that is kind of the number that the committee you, you try to evaluate like. Okay, are we going to get, you know, big conference favoritism? How many losses? What are your losses? Why do you have – I mean, looking at even a team like UNC that – I don't know. I think they're at nine after they beat – after they lost NC State before the Memphis game. But they're not even at ten losses. And they they were the preseason number one team, and they're out of the field right now, according to Joe Lenardi. So, that being all, all that being said, 11 wins is very hard to look at. Uh, 11 losses are hard to look at in terms of the NCAA tournament resume for our – issue women, but in terms of rating the quality of our team, like, I didn't think we have a, a quality, a tournament quality team, like Deja Fair again, one of the top scorers in the country, and I think that, like, to Sammy's point, this game showed, to the fullest extent that I've seen this far, the versatility and the ability of this team outside of Deja Fair when she doesn't have it going, when she is, you know, when she's not able to do her dance. Like you said, Asia Strong, a, tra- a grad transfer, you get out of the portal, you know, really showed a lot more offensive, you know, shot making than we've seen. Timing, like some of the, the, the younger guards, the Ariana Lewis, like this is a team that we've known has had pieces and been able to do things, you know, all year. But for the most part, it's been a lot of, you know, DeAndre Fair with a side order, whoever it needs to be for the day. But this was the first game where I saw, you know, everybody outside of DeAndre really on full display. So, you talking about a guard like her that can make everything happen for you in a for a quarter or two, and a supporting cast that looked like it did uh, against Miami, a really key uh, game for both teams in terms of NCAA tournament hopes. Like that gets me excited about um, just the, that tournament, just what this team can do in the tournament. But yeah, they definitely, as Joe Lenardi say, would have work to do. So you know, <laughs> hopefully, again, being in that being in the ACC, you get the ACC tournament. So let's see how much work they can do. Yeah, and and the most disappointing thing about the men's team not being on Bubble Watch is one, I don't get to do all the nerd analytics and compare all the numbers and stuff because I I love doing all the numbers stuff and the stats and the nets and the quads and comparing all of that stuff. Number two is I don't get to make fun of Joe Lenardi and how bad he is at bracketology, even though he invented bracketology. So it really stinks that I don't get to make fun of Joe Lenardi. So I mean, you, um, know, you can still like Memphis. Is I mean, I still do, you, but I can't could. do it in article form, right? Like okay. because I can't write about Syracuse men in the NCAA tournament legitimately, and so I can't write an article about, hey, we've got fifty-eight bracketologists. Joe Lenardi's ranked fifty-sixth. He has Syracuse out. All the top fifty have Syracuse in. Like I can't do stuff like that, which is always fun to do. Um, so usually wherever Joe Lenardi had Syracuse, the opposite of that was where they actually were standing. Um, but unfortunately, it is what it is. From hoops to lacrosse and Syracuse men's lacrosse suffered its first loss of the season at Maryland, 15 to 12. A close game. It was a game of runs. You know, Maryland jumped on Syracuse early. Syracuse bounced back. Then Maryland jumped back on them, and it just kind of went back and forth. Syracuse was kind of behind the eight ball for most of the game, but battled. Ended up being um, a three-goal deficit was the final outcome. 
first loss of the season, but I don't think one that should be too terribly discouraging moving forward, uh, mm-hmm. given who they were playing. Maryland was desperate. You know, after losing the, the season opener, they wanted to kind of make a statement for themselves and, and feel like they did that. Uh, we'll go to you, Emily, as our uh, lacrosse guru covers lacrosse for us. Um, your thoughts on Syracuse performance. And I, I think at least one of the major takeaways for me is uh, Joey Spelina is every worth every bit of the hype that he had coming in. I 100 percent agree. I mean, he is powering this offense forward right now. But it's not just him. Some of the other freshmen are playing out of their minds. I mean, Jackson Burtwistle looks outstanding. He he looks arguably as good as Spelina this far. But to your point about a lot, like this loss, you're right. It should not be taken like the end of the world. Let's remember, Maryland is one of the best programs in the country. They're fantastic. Syracuse is coming off of a really disappointing season by Syracuse standards. This was a good way for a young team and a team full of of transfers, new faces who have never played together, I think this was a good way to see what they're made of. And I think it shows that they're made of something. You know, this is not a team that you're just going to get to walk all over. This is a team that is going to put up a fight. They have weapons and they're, they're going to make you work for a win. And I think that's what they did against Maryland. I don't think they got embarrassed by any stretch. We'll, we'll get to a Maryland team that got embarrassed, but you know, Syracuse did not get embarrassed the way that, you know, if you watched last year, you would think that this team would. Yeah, no question. And, you know, I, I think the biggest issue for them in this game was really uh, face-offs. They, they struggled mightily and, and it, it meant they didn't get nearly as many possessions as it felt like uh, Maryland did. And, you know, you see 15 goals and you think, oh, you know, your your goalie, Will Mark, took a step back. Well, he had 18 saves in this game. I mean, he he was not a huge issue. I, I think the defense was still good given, you know, the issues they had at the faceoff acts. And, um, you know, that's that's certainly going to be an area of concern moving forward. Um, and I think is is potentially a weak spot on this team. But even with that issue, um, you know, when your goalie makes 18 saves, you you feel pretty good about that. Uh, with the offensive firepower that Syracuse does have, as you mentioned, some guys besides Spelina stepping up. Um, Josh, we'll go to you. Your thoughts before we go to Sammy on uh, Syracuse's three-goal loss to Maryland. I mean, I'm not a again. I, I refer to Vandy over here for the the lax knowledge, and I but I can read a box score. I got into this magnificent uh, graduate program. I'm analyzing this box score, and despite it being a very close loss, it says Maryland got 50 shots. Well, and she only got 29. So I'm looking at the shot discrepancy in either A, we're a lot more accurate if my percentages are correct, or B, um, we got to do a better job against some more shots, honestly. But it seems to be with the shots that we got, we had, we were, you know, massively more efficient than the number four team in the country. So that's pretty good. So, like you said, we have, you know, big name talent team, you know, Joe Spelina with over at the 10 weekend go, like he is still a freshman. So, like, he's going to have, you know, these these bursts of, you know, um, exciting play. And he, he does look appear to be the goods. Like, I think if, if I can rely on any experience, I know you don't rely on your freshman to the, develop results. Highlights, draft pro spot, draft uh, prospects. Um, fan base alumni, but laying your aspirations of winning at the hands of freshmen, 18, 19 year olds, never a good proposition in any sport. 
But this team doesn't have all freshmen. There's a nice mix of veterans. And we're talking about, you know, what M said, you know, not having to take this one too hard on the chin. Again, another astute observation of the box score. We have a ranked matchup coming up after this game with UNC. So not only can you not, you know, wallow in pity over losing to a number five team, never nothing to wallow pity in it within itself. You have another ranked matchup coming up, you know, if you know what I'm saying. And with, you know, Vanny informing me of how lags goes in ACC, this is, it appears to be a highly contested lags conference. So you're going to like, you, you're not going to get any time to, you know, wallow in, um, you know, losing to a conference or a top tier matchup because you have a quality game and high expectations right around the corner. So like M said, nothing, nothing, no shame in losing a close game to a top five team in the country. Honestly, uh, more positive than negatives. And, you know, if you don't want to, you know, one of the biggest things as an athlete, you never want to, you know, lose twice. Beat yourself twice, I should say. So you can't – no no reason to really beat yourself up too much over this Maryland game. And you can't allow it to linger with another ranked opponent coming into JMA, you know, pretty soon. Yeah, and, and you can't let this, to your point, um, you know, sort of snowball out of control on you because you mentioned that North Carolina is coming to the Dome uh, Saturday at 3 o'clock, February 25th. The game will be on the ACC network um, if you can't make it to the Dome or you're out of out of town and, and want to watch. So, you know, we'll be – nationally televised game but you've got duke who's you know top 15 team and then johns hopkins who's a top 10 team coming into the dome the two games after that so you've got that would be four straight ranked opponents going back to the maryland game um if if you let the maryland game sort of you know get you to 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 lose to north carolina because you're still thinking about that one it, it can snowball out of control on you real fast so Definitely have to make sure you're on point and refocus and, uh, you know, try to bounce back against another quality team. Uh, but back to to your point about the number of shots, right? I, I mentioned it with the faceoff issues. Um, Maryland was won 24 out of 31 faceoffs. That's 77% of the time, which means you can play make it, take it. It prevents Syracuse from doing that. And that was a huge, huge issue uh, for Syracuse in this game, Sammy. The huge issue wasn't even just the number of faceoffs that they lost. They lost them all with one person. <laughs> he was seven for 30 for Chusa. And right, I and understand. Maryland did it all with one person as well. But again, you stick with your hand, hand yes, if, he's, you if he's winning. You, you tend to change things if someone's struggling. Um, Bayheim is really good at that, actually, this year. He tends to also ridicule them at the postgame press conference. Aside from the point, you have to I, – I don't care if he's the one you're the most confident in. That's completely reasonable to have the person you trust most in the start the game. Sure. But if he's struggling, you have to go to another hand because he's not going to help you if he continues to lose face-offs. So that's one my first issue. And, again, those losing those face-offs turned into a ton of opportunities for Maryland. So I really think their loss comes down to that one area more than any other – aspect because I don't think Syracuse played that bad. Maryland just played very well after they won the faceoffs to retain possession, get those extra opportunities. And it wasn't necessarily, it was a little quantity over quality for them. And it turned into be just enough to get them that 15 goals. But if you just look at their overall schedule, UAlbany, Holy Cross and Vermont aren't exactly the teams that are preparing you to beat a Maryland. They did, however, prepare them to be competitive with a Maryland, which isn't something they were necessarily going to do last season. So you have to look at the positive of you just went against three. I, I, Vermont's a solid team, but I would say you all been in Holy Cross a little below the curve. They turned those three games into a very 
competitive game, one that they pulled back at the very end, had a very solid fourth quarter against the fourth team in the country. That's a positive. And especially if you can notice improvement against UNC, maybe get a win against Duke. You have to beat Johns Hopkins because I hate them. It's they, they torment the Centennial Conference. I, I, as an alumni of that conference, I just, I need Johns Hopkins to lose at all costs. But this team has the, the ability and the opportunities to prove and show improvement now against some of the best competition in the country. And if they can get through this stretch, maybe two, uh, two and one over the next three games, that would be an unbelievable mark for, for things to come and the potential threat they'll pose in the postseason. Yeah, no question. And, you know, to your point about, um, you know, face-offs and being one person the whole game, it was, it was Johnny Rachuza who was 7 for 30 in that game. Now, I could kind of understand it if you look back at the previous games and he was dominant at the face-off in, in those three previous games against the subpar opponents, as you mentioned. But he was not. He was 9 for 21 against Holy Cross. That's less than 50%. He was... Seven for 16 against Vermont. Again, less than 50%. His best game was against Albany, where he was 17 for 29, just barely above 50%. So he's played three subpar opponents uh, in terms of you know comparing them to what Maryland is and wasn't really dominating. He was kind of just middle of the pack, so-so, 50-50. Now you have a huge step up in competition, I think you would kind of expect a big step backwards like this. So unless, you know, Gates sees his guys in practice all the time, we don't, we don't get to see that. So perhaps he's looking at it and saying, yeah, listen, I know this isn't the greatest situation in the world, but you should see the guys we have behind it and how bad they are. So maybe this is just a massive issue and a weakness on this roster. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out the rest of the season. Now, enough bad stuff. Let's get to something good. The best team on the hill is Syracuse women's lacrosse. And they made a major, major statement in their most recent win, 20-11 over Maryland. Now, you beat anyone by that much in lacrosse, you feel like you had a dominant performance, and they did. Maryland, however, was ranked number two in the country and one of the um, top national championship contenders going into the season. They came into the Dome and Syracuse looked like they were in a completely different class. It was not competitive. Basically, other than a little run at the end of the first quarter, where Maryland went, uh, changed it from a 6-2 to a 6-5 game. Other than that little spurt where they they kind of made it close, Syracuse dominated the complete rest of the game. It felt like they could have scored 30 goals if they had really wanted to. And again, talking about making a statement to every other major contender out there. It's one thing when you beat Northwestern, who's a top five team by a goal at your place, even though you felt like Syracuse was in control for most of that game. It's another to almost double up a national championship contender. This team has so much offensive firepower. The fact that they have elite goalkeeping now on top of that with the defense playing better. Uh, I mean, they, they had, several yellow cards in this game. They're very, very physical and aggressive defensively, but you know, that's, that's part of their style of play. Um, but you know, Delaney Schweitzer is just been a huge find for them in net. And if she's going to keep playing to this level where she's saving more than 50% of shots against elite offenses, uh, Syracuse is going to be extremely, extremely hard to beat. 
Uh, Emily, we'll start with you, your thoughts on, on Syracuse's performance. Oh man. So I was unable to be at the dome for that game because I was in class, but I was texting with Andrew Macbeth. And I remember saying the other Andrew Macbeth, the other beat reporter for, for um, Syracuse. On. Yeah. We'll have to get him on here sometime. So he can, Oh, he he's can highly us. entertaining. People would love Andrew, but uh, he and I were saying, wow, they might actually put 20 on Maryland. I mean, that, that's a shocking number. You know, lacrosse games, to, to people who aren't necessarily super familiar, a good offensive performance, you're getting into double digits. 20 is insane, and especially when you do it against mm-hmm. Maryland. Uh, we knew Megan Tyrell was good, but my goodness, the the level of dominance that she's playing with, it's just – it's it's unbelievable. I don't, I don't even think there's words to describe it. She had 11 points in a single game that's if if i'm remembering correctly close to a program record i think kayla trainer is one of only two players that has more in a single game it's her level of dominance cannot be understated but delaney Schweitzer in goal it's she's playing phenomenal she had 13 saves that that's pretty great especially when last year this team that was their one major weakness they did not have great defense especially in the net this is a huge step forward for this team. We knew they were good. There's an argument to be made that they could be the number one team in the country now, especially since they just embarrassed number two like this. Yeah, I think if you're if you're looking at the polls, um, you know, North Carolina is most likely going to remain at number one. But if you're looking at who they've played and who they've beaten and and the performances that have been out there so far, it's just two games in. Syracuse has the best case for number one, in my opinion. Sammy, your thoughts on on the the big win for Syracuse? I say if this was college basketball, they'd be one with that resume. Um, yes, but I I might. Does Syracuse have too much talent? Like, are they too good? Like, especially Megan Tyrell, six goals and five assists. That is ridiculous. And then again, you guys emphasize it as Delaney Switzer is just incredible. There's just I, I also was very impressed too that the defense on the other side, Emily Sterling was hung out to dry. She felt like she, there was nothing she could do in that to stop Syracuse on, uh, on the offensive side. And the best thing I think now for Syracuse is they just went against the number two and the number four team in the country and scored 36 goals. And you make the jump defensively from only giving up 15 goals against Northwestern to 11 and you saved more than you saw those are some very impressive statistics and i am afraid of what this team might do to binghamton <laughs> yes they play binghamton next uh binghamton is not at the same level of northwestern and maryland um again you know i i said sort of half facetiously that that if syracuse had wanted to score 30 goals against maryland they could have uh they legitimately could against a team like binghamton uh, I hope that they rein it in a little bit because that is a matchup disadvantage of all matchup disadvantages. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on uh, a convincing win as a former athlete would, when you put a performance together like that against a team that is supposed to be your equal or better than you, and you don't just beat them, but you thoroughly destroy them from start to finish. Yes. Like that's, that's where you know you're operating on all cylinders. We talked about this team. You asked me about, you know, having somewhat of a um preseason ramp in and being able to, you know, prepare. Like, what does that do? And, you know, this team responded 
as well about about as well as you can to the type of schedule that they had laid out in front of them. So we've talked about you know the talent that they had on this team. Apparently, had some elite defender that Megan Terrell tore to shreds. So when you have teams out there exploiting, like you said, the supposed strengths of national championship contenders, like you know, I haven't been watching lacrosse this long, but I don't perceive that I see I've seen a level of dominance like this, and I, you know, I don't think it's normal. So at some point, you do have to. Um, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but you're not going to average 20 goals a game. So you want to see what this offense looks like, you know, in conference play, when there's a little bit more stagnant, you know, respond to adversity, things like that. Because, you know, realistically, you're just not going to get an outcome like this every game. You could – you lose it – I won't say that. But a 2011 game versus Binghamton is still a, a nine-point win in the scorebook. So, you know, this is probably like a a um, best-case scenario type of performance. You would have liked to see this in the tournament, but – the, the, the fact that they're able to play this well against this quality of opponent this early in the season just says a lot about the makeup and the maturity of this team. Yeah, and I think there's some players, too, that don't perhaps get the same level of recognition. Obviously, Megan Terrell is um, the the number one name that you think of, right? She's preseason player of the year nationally. Um, as Emily mentioned, she had 11 points in this game, six goals, five assists. For those that aren't big lacrosse players, uh, fans or you know are, are still learning about the game points or goals plus assists um Maryland as a team had 14 she had 11 herself I mean that is you know that's that's almost the equivalent of saying you know Joe Girard had 62 points which was almost as much as the 68 that the opponent had I mean it's it's kind of a similar thing in terms of just almost outscoring your opponent uh, single-handedly but you know Olivia Adamson had a couple of goals. Maddie Baxter had a couple of goals. Uh, you know, Emma Ward and Emma Tyrell are both like secondary offensive players on this team to the Megan Carneys and, and Megan Ty- Tyrells. And then Sierra Cockrell, who was also coming back from an injury, she had five points, two goals and three assists. I mean, there's so many weapons. And you think of, of players like William, like Adamson and Baxter, they don't get much attention. They don't have a lot of stuff run for them because they run it through their stars, the Tyrell sisters, Megan Carney, et cetera. And yet when those two players have their opportunities, I mean, they're extremely talented and they're great finishers. This team is just so loaded from top to bottom. And as we mentioned, Delaney Schweitzer is sort of the uh, missing piece, I think, to make them a legitimate national championship caliber team. So uh, it'll be fun to see them grow. It's fun to see what they do um, in the next couple of games against, you know, some step down in competition. But, um, you know, they've certainly set themselves up well uh, moving forward with the rest of the schedule. But that'll do it for episode 68 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Sammy, Emily, and Josh, I am Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.